Welcome to Medically Speaking, Auburn's own medical radio show with host Dr. Mark Vaughn of the Auburn Medical Group and Larry Finney. This is Medically Speaking Radio. Thank you for joining us. We are your hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and... And I'm Larry Finney. And we have been out of the studio for... Or out of uh, the K-High studio in our home studio for... How many weeks has oh, it been here? This is probably the third or fourth uh, consecutive pre-record week, but we, it's, we been, have, yeah. it's been we a have, very busy time for us both personally. Uh, we won't bore you with the details of that, but we know that building up deep inside of our listeners is the urge to uh, call in or something, but we have an alternative. Instead of calling, you may do what? You may send in your questions via Facebook. Our Facebook fan site is uh, called Medically Speaking Radio, and it's on Facebook. You can put your questions there, and then we can answer them when we get back to the studio we'll uh, read we'll read them aloud we will and then we'll be back in in the coming weeks but now we're going to have dr philip kintner after this break we hope that you enjoy him he's always great here is the disclaimer since 1966 sutter auburn faith hospital has been providing award-winning care to members of the community to people just like you the tradition of excellence continues today with our comprehensive Family Birth Center, Cancer Services, 24-Hour Emergency Care, and a whole range of outpatient services with convenient hours and locations to serve you. In addition, we've been recognized for excellence in managing heart attacks, heart failure, pneumonia, and surgical care. We are one of a select few hospitals in the state to earn recognition from VHA's West Coast region for sustained outstanding clinical performance. To learn more about Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital, visit us on the web at SutterAuburnFaith.org slash Medically Speaking Radio. That's SutterAuburnFaith.org slash Medically Speaking Radio. Sutter Health, with you for life. Larry, have you ever been to Auburn Drug Company? Yeah, that's the one with the marble soda fountain at 815 Lincoln Way. Yeah, right there in front they have the marble fountain. And in back is an independently owned pharmacy right here in Auburn. And that thing has been around for a long time. Since the 1800s. They are so great because they actually fill your prescriptions when you ask them to. Unlike the chain drug stores that make you wait. You know, and waiting there wouldn't be a big crime because, heck, you could always go to the soda fountain. That's Auburn Drug Company at 815 Lincoln Way in downtown Auburn. Give them a call at 885-6524. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. The content of this website and the Medically Speaking radio show are meant for entertainment and for general information purposes. No doctor-patient relationship is attempted or implied through the show or the website. Any medical advice... Home remedies and all other medical information on this website or radio show should not be treated as a substitute for the medical advice of your own doctor. Do not attempt any treatment mentioned on the website or the show without consulting your doctor. Always consult your own doctor if you are in any way concerned about your health. If you need a doctor and live near Placer County, call Jen at 530-886-8630. If you have a medical emergency, call 911. Medically Speaking Radio, Dr. Mark Vaughn, Auburn Medical Group, K-High Radio, and or our sponsors are not responsible for any diagnosis or treatment made by anyone based on any of the content of this website or the Medically Speaking Radio Show. 
In addition, the views and opinions expressed on the show or on linked websites are not necessarily those of Dr. Mark Vaughn, Hey Hi Radio, the Auburn Medical Group Incorporated, or any of the show sponsors. Welcome back from the break. This is Medically Speaking Radio with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney and our host, Philip Kintner, Obstetrics and Gynecology in Auburn. Wait, let me, let me correct you a minute. Wow. We're, the, we're the host. He's a guest. Did I call him the host? You did. Yeah. You've promoted him to host. And, oh and you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, perhaps, because I, I have a feeling he's going to be one of our more popular guests. <laughs> no. Dr. Philip Kintner is a gynecologist obstetrician here in Auburn, um, hailing originally from Illinois. And if you heard the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know that he's from Oblong, Illinois. And uh, well, we'll do a little Illinois lore, though. Um, Doc, when I was back there last week, I was in um, the uh, Bourbon A area. And I was talking to a student there who explained to me that there's a delicacy called a horseshoe. Um, what, now, I, I, could you confirm, I won't, I'm not going to tell you what I think it is, but could you confirm for me what this thing is? And I'll see if it squares up with what he told me it is. Well, the, the, uh, the folklore is that the horseshoe was developed or invented in Springfield, Illinois. And it is a uh, delicacy consists of, um, the way I've ordered it is a hamburger patty uh, sitting on top of a mound of golden french fries uh, with a bun smothered in some variety of cheese sauce. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was explained. And then the secret is the cheese sauce. There are people who, it's, it's like barbecue sauce recipes in Texas. People in Illinois guard their cheese sauce recipes. And that's kind of what makes it. This thing is a heart attack on a plate. Oh yes, it's it's delicious. Reportedly, it was it was started, I believe, it at a uh, local dining establishment in Springfield called Fritz's Wagon Wheel. I I think. Oh, uh, right. But more recently, though, the <clears throat> the gentleman on the, has the show on TV where he goes to towns and eats himself silly. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um, Man versus food. Oh, yes, man versus food. He went to Darcy's Pint in uh, Springfield and wolfed down one of the king size uh, horseshoes plus uh, I think a pizza or, or something else. <laughs> but you're correct about the cheese sauce because there I've had one at Darcy's Pint uh, before <laughs> I moved out here, and they have a a spicy cheese sauce as well as a your garden variety. And you order either yellow or white cheese sauce. I'm kind of sad I didn't get one. I didn't have the opportunity, but next time I think I will. Just to say I've done it. It's one of those things, you know. They have them up in the area you were in. I, I would guess it's so. not just Southern Illinois. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. It's mainly Central. He, um, uh, Bourbon A and Kankakee, you could still probably get a horseshoe. I haven't seen one on the menu anywhere in Chicago. Now, have you ever had uh, toasted ravioli or? A, a very flat, crispy, crusted pizza? Uh, yes. Uh, my toasted ravioli experience would be on the hill in St. Louis. That's correct. Which I know you're very <laughs> familiar with. Well, this is, this is actually, no, for our listeners, this is actually not a regional food story, a uh, food food show. We are, we are a, allegedly a medical show, <laughs> and we are talking to uh, Dr. Philip Kentner, a obstetrician gynecologist here, as I said, in Auburn. And I won't, I won't get into the Illinois part again because I'll go off on that tangent. But uh, I think Dr. Kintner wanted to talk about the um, C-section rates at Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital. Yes, yes that's a message that uh, we want to get out that 
uh, well, you go ahead. It's your your subject. Um, <clears throat> well, in Illinois as well as in California and every state in the nation, um, there's concern as to our rising cesarean section rate, um, as well as our uh, elective induction of, of labor in uh, pregnant women. Um, over probably the last 30 years, the cesarean section rate uh, in total has probably went to single from single digits to now double digits, and in some cases approaching 40 to 50 percent. So uh, the uh, yes, quite high. So the Sutter uh, Health Network um, is looking at uh, indicators and ways to uh, to decrease our C-section rate. Um, and one of the things that uh, the perinatologists, uh, high-risk obstetricians, have found that, that when we induce a lot of patients, especially before their due date, that we tend to uh, you know, increase the C-section rate simply mm-hmm. from our, maybe from our own actions. So uh, Dr. Gilbert, one of the perinatologists down in Sacramento, and I, I have was, was chosen, as he told me, uh, he's far enough away that he doesn't care if anybody gets mad at him and I'm old enough that I shouldn't care either. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so I'm working with uh, Nori Sargent the the uh, family birth center uh supervisor and we're we're going to be looking at the data over the next few months and trying to see, you know, how we can in, improve on that and, and uh, that'll be a plus for our, for our patients. And the the reasons for avoiding elective induction and C-sections are well, obviously, a C-section is, is, even though we tend to take it for granted, it is a major operation requiring anesthesia. And anytime you have, you know, major surgery, there's a risk for you know, bleeding, infection, injury to other structures and organs and, you know, prolonged uh, off-work times and, and rehab times. And, and what about um, elective induction? Of course, it leads to C-sections, but are there other concerns with it? Well, and it depends on what you read and who you believe, but it's fairly well agreed that that uh, women with their first pregnancies who are electively induced, and by elective, I mean there's no medical reason, such as elevated blood pressure, uh, baby not growing, low amniotic fluid, but often it tends to be for our uh, convenience or, you know, if we're on call, you know, why don't you come in on this weekend and, you know, and I'll deliver you. Uh, and often the, the patient's just not ready. As an older obstetrician told me once, you know, when the, when the apple's ready, it'll, it'll fall from the tree. And, uh, yeah, the got, baby's not staying in there forever. One way or another, it's coming out. Correct. I mean, and there, there are rare, unusual cases where you know, the women don't ever go into labor, but, uh, you know, that's, that's very unusual. Yeah. I'd like to back up for just a second as to why the the um, C-section rates have gotten so incredibly high. Was it a was there a philosophy that led to that? In other words, was the the uh, the idea of letting a woman labor and labor and labor um, distasteful enough that now the 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 procedure du jour was well, let's just do a C-section. Right, and there there's a lot of misconceptions and and uh, other perceptions, but I think I think one of the one of the reasons that we've headed in that direction is, uh, you know, often in medicine we're we're judged. We have to treat someone prospectively, but we're judged retrospectively. 
and um, it's interesting. I used to go to a conference uh, every week in January. It's called I think Medical Malpractice. Excuse me, Medicine and the Law, and it's a it's an excellent meeting. It's usually in a very nice place, but it's plaintiffs' attorneys, defense attorneys, physicians, all in the same room. <laughs> and well, um, sounds like you're <laughs> making of a good reality show. <laughs> and, and what's interesting is 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 uh, you know the, the take home message after you hear the uh, the plaintiffs' attorneys is is that you know we we get ourselves in trouble when we don't do a C section, you know, quick enough. So as a consequence, everyone goes home and says, well, you know, I'm not going to maybe wait that extra, you know, few hours to see if this baby's going to come out, you know, and I don't want to, you know, have to answer all the questions, you know, that are, that are based on, you know, what happened in the past. And uh, if we all had a crystal ball, of course, we'd, we'd know what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm recalling my uh, experiences of baby having, you know, four kids. And I, and I think at least on two of them, they had the, the crash cart at the ready. Just, you know, if, if this wasn't going to happen naturally or if this is taking a little too long, we're going. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just like they, I don't want to say they're looking for an excuse, but I, I, I had the sense as, a, as the expectant father that um, it wasn't going to take much to, to tip the scale in the favor of the C-section. Oh, yes, and I, and I think now especially, I mean, we don't, uh, I think the tide started to turn when I was in the residency, and that was in the, the late 80s. Um, when I was a first-year resident, we tried about everything, every method possible to deliver a baby, you know, vaginally. And uh, by the time I, I got out, we were, we were looking for ways to, to avoid that, and uh, you could see the, the C-section rate uh, start to go up. I mean, I'm. I know you guys like stories. So, uh, <laughs> when I was born uh, in 1954, my mother's obstetrician came into her room smoking a uh, one of the dark wrapper uh, cigarettes into her her room, oh. and uh, she reportedly had been in labor for about two and a half days. And he examined her, and, and he he told her, he said, Marilyn, he said, we have two choices. He said, I can do a cesarean section on you, and you'll probably die from infection. He said, or I can pull your baby out with forceps. And he says, I'll probably break the baby's neck or cause problems. What do you want to do? Of course, my mother says, pull him out. <laughs> so uh, so I was I was a high forceps delivery, which which no one in their right mind in this day and age would even, would even attempt. Uh, High forceps basically means the baby's head's not even engaged in the pelvis. So things have changed. Wow. I guess. Well, it, it turned out okay, apparently, we think. <laughs> Depends on who you talk to. <laughs> Depends on what circles you travel. Well, we're, we bumped across a, a story in the news recently. This one uh, from, uh, well, this is off the WebMD website, but I noticed that it's in several other uh, News outlets are carrying this. The, the headline is moderate exercise during pregnancy lowers baby's birth weight and may reduce baby's risk of obesity. So this is suggesting that uh, expectant mothers might have some um, control over their baby's body size. And, and it goes like this. Women who exercise moderately during pregnancy 
give birth to somewhat smaller babies, which may reduce the infant's obesity risk later, according to a new study. Uh, I'll, I'll go into the, the study. It says, um, let's see, they assigned 84 women pregnant with their first child to an exercise group or a control group. I guess they meant either or. Women in the exercise group rode stationary bikes at home or at, at a moderate intensity for 40 minutes, five times a week maximum, beginning 20 weeks into pregnancy and continuing until about week 36. The control group were instructed to continue normal daily activities during the same time period. Women in both groups had, on average, healthy body weight before pregnancy and were similar in other regards, such as age and ethnicity. Babies born to the exercisers had a lower body weight and a lower body mass index. There was no difference in the length of the babies on average between exercises and non-exercisers. Uh, the exercise did not affect length of pregnancy either or the mother's weight. So, um, and then the, the thing goes on, basically the article goes on to say that they really don't know why this is so, but apparently they, they, they found the results statistically significant, but it's only 84 women. And what was the journal? Uh, let's see. What, what was the journal? Where did we have this? Uh, does it say? Oh, yes, the study is published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. Okay, so it's so it's not an, <laughs> an obs- it's not an obstetrics journal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it, you know, it may be a valid study, but uh, um, you know, they've argued and discussed exercise and pregnancy for for years, and you know, is it is it good? Uh, you know, is it beneficial during pregnancy uh, for the woman to exercise and 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 then you come up with these definitions, you know, what is moderate exercise? Well, you know, some people ride an exercise bike, you know, 90 miles an hour, and then other people ride an exercise bike like I do, you know, at 2.8 miles per hour. So, you know, 40 minutes of one versus the other is totally different. Um, you, have, you might need a pediatrician on the show, but, but I, I remember that uh, one of the things contributing to obesity, I believe, is the amount of brown fat. There's two types of fat on our bodies uh, when we're born, and and brown fat uh, is the is the one that we use for for energy, I believe, right after birth, and then the other uh, sits there and tends to make us little porkers. So you know there may be some substance to that. It's, uh, it, in other words, the kind of fat that comes from eating too many of those horseshoes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's the yellow fat. Yeah, yeah. If you order the yellow cheese. Oh, yeah, we do need to take a break. We'll be back with uh, more of Dr. Kintner after this. Do you find yourself overspending, overeating, or in unhealthy relationships? Is your anger out of control, or do you struggle with drugs and alcohol? Are you tired of just trying harder to deal with your struggles? If you answered yes to any of these questions, there's help available. Celebrate Recovery is an international ministry that meets locally at Parkside Church. 3885 Richardson Drive, Auburn. Meetings are held every Friday night from 6 to 9.15 p.m. All areas of recovery are welcome. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered, 12-step recovery program that offers real and lasting change. Contact Sheila Dobbin at 823-9911. That's 823-9911. For a listing of Celebrate Recovery locations, go to CelebrateRecovery.com. We invite you to join us at Parkside as we celebrate recovery. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. 
I wanted to let you know a little bit about our practice at the Auburn Medical Group. The physician, nurses, and front desk personnel all approach the patient, asking themselves the question, how would I want to be treated if I was in the patient's shoes? Listen to what one of our patients has to say about her experience at the Auburn Medical Group. My name is Susie Brown. I just want to sincerely thank that group of people for being there for me in some emergency situations. They are very efficient. Their staff, including their receptionist, even when you call her, she's got uh, sympathy and compassion for you. And when you're ill, that's what you need. The nurses, the nurse staff is wonderful. And Dr. Vaughn listens to everything you say, and they just get on things. They do not let anything lag. If you need a doctor, call us at 886-8630 or look at our website at auburnmedicalgroup.com. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back to Medically Speaking Radio with your host, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney, and our guest, Dr. Philip Kintner. I got it right. And we were speaking before the break about the, uh, the study that was published in the Journal of Endocrinology and uh, Metabolism. Metabolism. Um, Dr. Kintner, you're, you're commenting on that they're kind of coming at it from a, a little different point of view or perspective. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, really, exercise and pregnancy, like diet, caloric intake, I mean, it's a very simple principle. I mean, it's calories in, calories out. And when a woman's pregnant, obviously, her metabolism increases because of the baby. And, um, you know, I've ran across some patients who don't want to gain any weight during pregnancy, even though they start out, you know, as an average body weight. Hmm. And um, two things can happen. Number one is they actually gain more weight because they lose protein, albumin, in their bloodstream. So uh, they tend to, to leak water out into their tissues so they tend to get puffy and in the long run they actually gain more more weight by calorie restricting hmm. the other thing too is it in a healthy woman with a healthy uterine circulation and a healthy placenta exercise probably of any level doesn't affect anything but if you add other compounding factors if, if the placenta is not functioning you know at full capacity then with exercise, obviously the blood's got to go to the muscles that you're using to exercise instead of through the uterus. So you know, that potentially that's a problem. You know, if if there's you know other problems going on. So for women who are concerned about gaining quote too much weight, is there essentially a minimum weight that they're going to gain uh, while pregnant? I get figured that a baby's weighs I don't know, let's say eight pounds, and the the placenta itself is going to have a certain weight and all that extra body fluid. So just on the natural, you know, we're, we're probably looking at, I'm, I'm going to guess, 15, 20 pounds. Right. <clears throat> Rule of thumb is an average-sized woman before pregnancy um, will gain anywhere from 20 to 30 pounds. Um, obviously, and, and it's a starting point. If a, if a woman's 250 pounds when she gets pregnant, I mean, we don't want her to gain you know, 30 pounds. In fact, those... Those women uh, eating a healthy, nutritious diet, and I, and I don't mean diet as in calorie restriction, those women often in pregnancy will either maintain their weight or even lose, hmm. and their babies you know, do, re- do remarkably well. Uh, someone that weighs 90 pounds when they get pregnant, obviously we, we would like for them to gain a little more weight, um, 
So it depends on your starting point. Dr. Kintner, why would it show up in the um, Journal of Endocrinology and Metabolism instead of an obstetrics journal? That's a good question. Um, what you see sometimes, and, and uh, not that the article may have some uh, credibility, but uh, you know, you could use it as an analogy. I mean, if, if there's a study about radiology, you know, usually it doesn't show up in the, you know, the journal of acupuncture. Um, so uh, it was probably in that journal because it was refused or turned down by the, uh, the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, and even the New England Journal of Medicine, um, or what we call our Green Journal, which is from the American College. That's interesting you bring that up. I, I see the same thing in all, all of these articles that make their way somehow into the, wherever it is that Larry finds them. <laughs> they come from these obscure journals of of such and such of Turkey <laughs> or Arjaban or <laughs> Turkmenistan. <laughs> and it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's because they, for whatever reason, it couldn't make it in a more reputable journal. And that, and that could be that uh, there's just significant flaws in it or uh, that it wasn't powerful enough, power meaning enough patients studied. Um, yeah. I, and I, I think, see it all and, the time I, and, I'm, the and I don't know the fine details, but I know, uh, for example, the, you know, the standard journals, you know, the American Journal of Internal Medicine, the, like, like our green journal, uh, the, um, Oh, I'm, I'm blanking, but like the American Journal of Pediatrics, I mean, those are all what's called peer-reviewed you know, journals. So these articles are reviewed by, by other authors who are familiar with, with statistics and statistical method, and, and do they really pass the test with their, with their statistics? And far be it from me to, yeah. to uh, so analyze the statistics. This would be a good place to introduce Larry to the term throwaway. <laughs> right, exactly. That yeah. we refer to the throwaways. Those are the journals that, that we never asked for that, that look like a legitimate journal about such and such subject. For you, it'd be an OBGYN journal. For right. me, it'd be something in, in family practice or emergency medicine. And they'll look like a journal. And then they'll have articles in them about real subjects. But I don't know who's paying for that to come in the mail to me. Probably and, advertisers. And, are they trying to well, sell here's, you something? Here's what's really uh, concerning is the actual articles in them are probably being paid to be put in my hands because of something in the content, like a particular drug that's being talked about. So it's, it's product placement <clears throat> is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, and, and I think a lot of these um, news articles that I bump across are that make it into the news cycles on, on uh, website, um, homepages, et cetera, are uh, the kind of thing that um, whoever's, whoever's touting the article puts out a press release and it's got those little catchy types of things that we want to hear as consumers. No, seriously, we want to hear that. We I want to hear that dark chocolate will lower say, my risk of heart attack. That's how they make it to chocolate.net, your favorite yeah, news site. Absolutely. Or, um, you know, and, and what mother doesn't want to know that maybe moderate exercise. Now, now to some people, as Dr. Kentner was saying, hey, 40 minutes a day, five times a week. For some people, that's not moderate. That's, that's boot moderate. camp. Yeah. You know, that's that's horrible. But. Lowering the baby's birth weight and reduce the baby's risk of obesity? Yeah, that'd be a great thing, right? I want to hear more about this. I need to exercise yeah, I'll, less. I'll read this article. I'll buy the newspaper or whatever. Yeah. There, there was an article a few years ago uh, that uh, length hours in labor, uh, if, if 
a woman was in labor less than I'm thinking it was 16 or 17 hours. Uh, if she was in labor more than 16 or 17 hours, her, her child's IQ went down by 12 points. And so I actually had a number of patients, you know, who uh, asked me about, you know, well, I've been in labor, you know, for, for 15 hours and, and uh, you know, can you deliver me in the next two hours before you know, my, sent my, my kid's IQ starts to, you know, dwindle? <laughs> Fascinating. So, th- so they believed it, right? So right. And, of course, and like, and like you alluded to, I mean, it shows up in the press. Um, there, there was a recent article on, um, on the new pap smear screening guidelines that, that, that was supposed to come out to us through the American College of OB-GYN and the press. Uh, there was some type of, I don't know what you call it, a moratorium or a, uh, what's a judge do, a gag order, that yeah. they weren't supposed to talk about it, and the press released it like a week before it even came to us. So, because they wanted, you know, they wanted the news, the news story. Well, you know, there are a lot of myths and stories surrounding pregnancy and childbirth, and when you're talking about lowering the IQ through a prolonged labor experience, I had always heard, and I don't know, maybe there is something to this, I don't know, you could shed some light on it, that Mothers who ate uh, fish or, or seafood, I guess, I, fish in particular, um, they refer to it as brain food that, that would actually help in the development of the child's brain. I don't know. Is that legit or is that just another one of those uh, old wives' tales? Well, and I, and I think that was probably based on, on you know, the content of omega-3 fatty acids in fish, which now, if you look at prenatal vitamins, I mean, they have DHA and they have omega-3s, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, now you're not supposed to eat you know, certain types of fish because they're all laden with mercury and, you know, who knows what else. So now you have, you know, no white tuna and you're not supposed to eat swordfish and you're supposed to eat low on the food chain, eat those disgusting sardines and things like that. I'm glad you mentioned the prenatal vitamins that for the most part, like you said, they now do contain these oils that we want people to be getting. They do have the essential minerals and vitamins the folic acid that we want to make sure an iron that we want to make sure that a pregnant person is getting as their baby's developing that the, whatever it is they're reading, that's the latest thing that they need to make sure they're getting for the most part, they're getting what they need. If they just get the, the multivitamin, the prenatal vitamin, is there something that is really special that you encourage family members to have when they're pregnant? Probably the, I had this discussion today. I was on my soapbox for 10 minutes. Uh, the fact of the matter is, if, if, if we all, including pregnant women, ate a balanced diet uh, with, you know, fish, vegetables, green leafy vegetables, beans, etc., there probably really isn't a need for prenatal vitamins. However, you know, we, we want a pill. We want something to lower our cholesterol. The most important vitamin is folic acid, and, and unfortunately, the time to be taking folic acid is at conception, hmm. because that has been proven without a doubt. They're usually kind of busy. Right. <laughs> and where, where does oh, one wait, f- wait, I have to take a pill. <laughs> where, where does one find folic acid? What foods is it? Uh, is, it is that your green leafies? It's, it's a, yeah, right, and it's a B vitamin. Um, again... Um, you know, one milligram or, or greater at the time of conception. What, what's interesting, I find, is that you can't buy over-the-counter one milligram of folic acid. You have to have a prescription if you want it in one tablet. Hmm. But you can obviously take two over-the-counter. Uh, 
but it has been shown to decrease what's called neural tube defect or, or spina bifida. Mm-hmm. You know, the more, more in the lore type of thing, I, you know, our bodies tell us what we should eat. We get cravings for things. And, and I think that the stories about uh, pregnant women having odd cravings, odd food cravings are, are kind of legendary. Do you have any of those? Oh, pica? Oh, is, oh yeah, that's the term. Yeah. Pica, the, the causes even males who have to eat things like clay or uh, right. non, yeah. non-food. Yeah, eat, eat non-food things. So, so pregnant women get this too? So, oh, absolutely. Um, probably the most common thing we see is ice eating. Um, that, yeah, they... <laughs> what did you say? Ice eating? Ice. Ice? Yes, eating massive quantities of ice. Ice, ice baby. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's... and then there's a certain people group, I think it was in South America, who were eating the clay. Right. And, but and, it was when they were pregnant. Right. And even in um, in the southern United States, the southern states, the, the red clay, like in Georgia, uh, and also another another fave is uh, Argo starch. Which is? I, I don't even know what that is. Um it's uh, all the starch you know, like you put into uh, laundry to make your uh, no to make um, thickening thickening saw you know like I wish our, our oh, audience gravies. could see this he's doing charades I'm trying doing to charades. tell us I think I know. <laughs> I'm it's stirring like, it's like it's like cornstarch yeah it's cornstarch yeah. yeah, you put it uh, to thicken gravy starch. and so yeah. forth yeah eat it by the spoonful yeah it's it's um, the it's the thing that the, probably they use in that uh, cheese sauce on the uh, right. know, on the right. horseshoe thickening shoes. agent, yeah. thickening agent. The, the white agent. one. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have any knowledge of something that's a mineral or whatever that's actually in that that's of value during pregnancy? Apparently, it, it's it's purely they think it's a taste because almost every pregnant you know patient that I've talked to about it, they'll say that their that their sensation of smell sense of smell and taste really is altered when they're pregnant. I mean, they may like sweets when they're not pregnant, but when, you know, within a week or two after they're pregnant, they want to eat, you know, salty or bitter uh, and textures. Hmm. Um, now, the, earlier, I, I, I thought I'd misheard you, but you said ice eating. I, isn't that kind of um, counterproductive? Wouldn't wouldn't it be more? You just let it melt and drink it. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it again. It has to do probably as much with the, the texture. Okay. And uh, and it usually the ice eaters, uh, you know, the half a dozen <laughs> that I've come across, they don't want cubed ice like out of your uh, you know ice maker at home. They want like the the McDonald's the ice the crushed ice in a drink. That, uh, and the little Good. small cubes are the best. Ones that are almost soft when you when you uh, bite on them. I, I I can relate to this. I like that sensation. Yeah. Well, and and I remember them offering it to my wife during labor, but I think that was just to keep hydration going. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it had nothing to do with the ice uh, crunching. Hey, she didn't turn it down. <laughs> While we're talking about the things to do during pregnancy, uh, other than nutrition and exercise, we touched on both of those. Do you have anything else off the top of your head that uh, pregnant listeners need to be uh, aware of while they're pregnant? Certainly, uh, after the break, we can get into what not to do. There, we have a whole list of that, but what to do? I think the main thing is is to be as educated as possible, and and you know, of course, with that, it's it's where do you get your information? And I think there are some reputable you know sources and uh, organizations that that. Uh, you know, are out there that, that do, uh, you know, have a wealth of, of free information for them. 
course, the internet, everyone's on the internet, but, but some of it turns out to be, a, you know, basically personal opinion. Uh, I guess I could kind of plug a book here, the, uh, uh, oh, what is the title of every pregnant woman when my what wife... expect when yes. expecting? <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting. Yes, and that, that's actually a very good book. Um, and there are a lot of offshoots of that, too, that are, you know, some are shorter, more to the point, and others are much more in-depth. I can say after four pregnancies, our family found that book invaluable. Well, after that uh, blatant commercial plug for somebody I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know who the author is. We should be getting some kind of We should be getting something. Maybe they'll sponsor the show. Um, we'll go ahead and take another break here. And when we get back, we'll continue our discussion about pregnancy with Dr. Philip Kintner. Um, this is Medically Speaking Radio on AM 950 KHI, the voice of the foothills. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. I want to tell you about my dentist, Rodney Kihara. His office is located right in town at High Street and Auburn Folsom Road. His staff is pleasant. They smile when you walk in, and you know who they are because they're there every time. We're talking about Flo, Cheryl, and Judy. Their pleasant faces welcome you into the office and let you know that you're in the right spot, a comfortable place to go to the dentist. Call Dr. Kihara's office at 888-1966. That's 888-1966. Few things in life are harder than thinking about serious illness or the death of someone you love. Research confirms that Americans want the basic services that hospice provides. Care at home or in a home-like setting. Treatment that preserves a sense of dignity and respect. Emotional and spiritual support for patients and for their families and effective pain management. Hospice helps patients and their families deal with end-of-life challenges in a life-affirming, compassionate way that brings dignity, hope, and love to every day of life. This message of love and caring is the focus of hospice care. This message is brought to you by Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice. We can be reached at 886-6650 or click on the link for Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice on the Medically Speaking Radio website. The doctor would say don't stick anything in your ear, unless, of course, it's Medically Speaking. On K-High, the voice of the foothills. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. And we're back. And we're talking with Dr. Philip Kintner about pregnancy. This is Medically Speaking Radio with your hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. And our guest, Dr. Philip Kintner. Who uh, is an obstetrician gynecologist, for those of you who turned in late. And, and still, yeah. He yeah, still is. He still is. He still is. Uh, <laughs> after all these changed. Years, has not changed. Uh, and we were going to talk about things not, not to do during not pregnancy. To do during pregnancy. Oh, well, let me think. I would guess that maybe um, gymnastics is probably not such a good idea. Motocross riding. I so don't know what, f- physical, physical activity. What, what's the word on... Uh, what I what I usually tell my patients is to at least try to maintain what level of activity they were they were doing before they were pregnant. Now, in some people that can be quite a bit, and others not very much. Um, and we try to steer them away from things such as you know rock climbing and motocross riding and uh, marathon running. You know that's that that goes back to your little article on exercise. I mean, um, 
I would probably tell them not to do marathon running, especially later on. And usually they physically can't do it because of, you know, the added weight plus it's just uncomfortable. Marathon running. But what about just running for exercise? Right. And, and if a patient has been running before they're pregnant, then I, I encourage them to, to keep doing it. Now, if someone says, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant now. I don't want to gain any weight, so I'm going to start running, then I, I tend to discourage that. Obviously, anything that would uh, potentially involve blunt or penetrating trauma to the, the abdomen or correct area of the uterus. So they can give up the old martial arts uh, thing, jujitsu and that kind of thing's right out. <laughs> as I tell them, as long as you don't get hit. <laughs> Stand behind a wall and just get hit in the face. You know, like I, I've, I've asked, you know, uh, women that have horses, you know, can I, can I horseback ride? You know, I mean, it sounds like I'm being, you know, flipped, but I'm like, yeah, as long as you don't fall off. Um, you know, riding a bike, same thing. Okay. So as far as physical activity and then uh, diet avoiding we we want them to avoid alcohol absolutely um right you know i mean the problem is is you know we have you know you hear no caffeine you know no alcohol no this no that and of course caffeine's in a lot of things that we don't have a clue that it's in um i won't necessarily say no caffeine do you say no caffeine no i i do not because okay because number one i'm addicted and uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I know what it's like to be taken off caffeine, and cold turkey. But do you recommend some kind of uh, a limit? I I usually, if they're coffee drinkers, I'll, I'll tell them they can have, you know, three to four cups of a, a, a coffee a day. Um, you know, usually they're tend to be diet coke drinkers, so I'll tell them to, you know, get the decaffeinated type. Um, so alcohol. Um, you told me I couldn't talk about anybody here, but I can talk about Illinois. Uh, I was in private practice in a community that was predominantly German Catholic. And, um, in fact, when I was growing up, we used to go to the church picnics because that's where we could get served when we were like 14. Um, so I, uh, you know, when I used to tell my patients, you know, that you really shouldn't drink alcohol when you were pregnant, you know, I got this look like, well, what do you mean? Um, you know, my mom drank when she was pregnant with me, and I'm fine. Um, you know, sometimes you wonder. You said German Catholic? Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, uh, Luther didn't get to that part of Germany? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking uh, beer and wine kind of thing. Oh, yes. That's yes. their picnic. Right, right. Party, uh, so I'll tell patients, you know, a glass of wine here and there. You know, I think it's like anything, moderation. Okay. And uh, I guess it seems kind of obvious, but... Yeah, we don't want the marijuana and the or tobacco, or, or tobacco um, other other illicit substances, right? And tobacco, I mean, that's one of the anything that that constricts the the blood vessels. And and when I was uh, actually in residency, they they did a study where they they had a pregnant woman who was undergoing an ultrasound using uh, what's called Doppler blood flow measurement, and they were doing that, and then they had her take a drag off the cigarette, and Within just a couple drags, the blood flow through the vessels supplying the uterus, uh, you could see it decrease. And that, you know, that was right before their, their very eyes. And we know that you know, tobacco, it's not just the nicotine, because we actually put patients who are heavy smokers on nicotine patches, even during pregnancy. It's, it's all the other garbage that's in the, that's in the cigarette. And other vasoconstrictors, uh, stimulants like cocaine, uh, right. methamphetamine. Right. 
Um, I don't know if they specifically would cut off the, the uterine circulation, but certainly they, they might be because they do constrict blood vessels. Right, and again, or, you know, or like arteries. we were talking earlier, I mean, if, if, if you have a healthy placental unit, you know, it'll tolerate a lot. However, if it's compromised and then you add, you know, insult to injury, that, that's when you have problems. And then in addition to that, the, um, the opiates, the problem there is the, uh, the addiction afterwards. Right. What other effects are there with uh, opiates in pregnancy? Opiates being uh, heroin and, and morphine and most of the painkillers. Well, one of the big things is with usually the users of those type of drugs during pregnancy, you know, it's, they're usually, number one is their nutrition is terrible. Uh, you know, they don't take care of themselves. They almost always are also cigarette smokers too. And they usually don't just use one drug. So they use opiates, but they also use stimulants. And um, stimulants such as cocaine has been associated with urinary tract anomalies in, in babies. Um, so. so that covers um, the drugs, the activities, physical activities, exercise. Um, what about sleep during pregnancy? Um, it's necessary. That was a great answer. Uh, and obviously the, the age-old question you know, that we get all the time, uh, do I have to sleep on my left side? Oh, okay. Well, why the left side? Um, this, I feel like I'm stepping into an inside joke here. Do you want the trauma guy to answer that? Yeah, answer that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when you have a pregnant patient, this, this is what I think. I think of trauma. Trauma comes in, pregnant patient, uh, you're concerned about, uh, their circulation, the vena cava, the large blood vessel uh, that's returning blood to the heart, is kind of on the, the right side of the body, and the aorta, the, the artery that's sending blood to the body, is on the left. Well, the aorta will pretty much support itself, even if you've got a, a pregnant uterus sitting on top of it. But the, the vena cava that's returning the blood to the heart, it does not have a, a big muscular wall around it, and so if the baby's sitting on it, there's limitation of blood return to the heart. It matters in situations where circulation is compromised, like somebody's bleeding and they need all the circulation they can get. Right. Again, and we we see it, you know, we see it in the office when we have a pregnant patient come in for you know a routine OB visit. And what do we do? I mean, we, we violate <laughs> we we violate what we tell every patient to do. Don't lay flat on your back. So, you know, we lay them back on our t- on the table. And some patients, you know, you can tell, I mean, they start to get white as a ghost and they start to break out, perspire, and they'll say, you know, I, I feel kind of sick to my stomach. I feel lightheaded. And what we've done is the pregnant uterus is compressing the vena cava. So their blood pressure goes down, their pulse goes up because they're trying to compensate for decreased uh, blood flow. And, you know, they feel terrible. And all we do, you know, you tilt them a little bit on their side. And it doesn't take much. So, so the answer is, um, yes, you do have to sleep on your left side, or well, and and or right, and and you know the thing of it is, is how do we know how we're sleeping when we're asleep? Yeah, yeah, we flop around, and yeah, and I I tell my patients, you know, prop yourself up with a pillow where you're just tilted just a little bit, and um, and usually if they do roll over on their back, I mean, a lot of them will get symptomatic. I mean, they'll actually wake up and they'll feel you know, nauseated or they'll feel, you know, real sweaty and, and you know, diaphoretic from, you know, a vagal response. And, and that, that kind of tells them, hey, you know. <laughs> and, and it's not so much a concern for the baby as for the mother, which well, indirectly it, affects the baby. Right, right, it can indirectly affect the baby, getting back to the, the 
whole thing with the placenta. I mean, if the placenta is healthy, the baby's going to tolerate it because they get the oxygen first just for the way their, their red blood cells are made. Mm-hmm. The other day I was having a conversation about we were our babies, right? We were, we, we were going through, we had occasion to go through baby pictures because uh, one of my kids is getting married and we we're, we're going through baby pictures. And I was remarking that all four of my kids had the, the common sense and decency to be born during, shall we say, normal business hours. They, they all, I, I didn't have to get up at 2 in the morning or anything like that. It was it's all during daylight hours, no mad rushes to the hospital in the middle of the night. And they were all done in time for um, you know, the 6 o'clock news or 60 minutes or whatever so I could get home and you know, catch that, catch the last uh, part of the game, whatever the deal. What, just from your experience, when are most babies born? I mean, when do you get called in? Is it during, quote, normal business hours, or are you, do you get woken up a lot? That, uh, that's a good question. They've actually looked at that because, you know, you, you would think uh, that more babies are born at night. But in actuality, the numbers don't bear that out, that there's as many babies born during the daytime at night. I think the fact that, that you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you go in and do a delivery, that that tends to stick in your mind more than, than the baby that comes out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, that's women in spontaneous labor. Of course, when we're inducing people, then you know, just by the nature of the way we do it, uh, we have them come in in the morning often, or their labor doesn't, you know, start. So it turns out to be evening, early morning. Usually bef- before the last tea time is given out, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no. So I'm not just extraordinarily lucky. It, it 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 just naturally more babies are born during the day than one would expect. Is that's that right? Well, right. Yeah. Even even those that are uh, as you refer to them as spontaneous. Spontaneous. I used to know an, an older family practitioner who, who used to make rounds at the hospital at 4.30 every morning, and, and it took me a while to figure out why he did that. He, he, said, he said, you know, I can make my rounds. You know, I'm, I'm out of there in an hour, and I finally figured out, well, that's because everybody's asleep and nobody complains. Um, but he used to say, how come you're always, you know, here at night delivering babies? He says, I always used to deliver my babies, you know, during the day. And come to find out, he was give, he would always give his patients what's called buccal pitocin. Uh, you put it under the tongue, inside the lip, and it was give it to them you know, in the office the day before. Sure enough, during the night, they, they'd go into labor. So, so he, was, he was manipulating the system himself even way back then. Goodness. <laughs> well, so that, that would be the uh, induced right, that we're trying right. to decrease the numbers of right. that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Right. So I, I wanted to go back to the, you know, these, these moms that were, say, heavy smokers or you know, maybe they drink a little more than they should. Does this necessarily mean that the baby uh, itself is going to be compromised? Is, it, is that a gimme? Or? Well, uh, you, you know, it's a difficult question because how do, you, how do you test for problems? I mean, we hear it all the time. You know, I, I drank, I smoked, I did this, and, you know, my kid's just fine. And... You know, and now, you know, as time goes on, we come up with more sophisticated ways to test, you know, the, the brain function of these kids. And now with PET scans and, and whatever, we can actually see. Criminal know, records. Right, right. And I, and I think, you know, again, it's, I think it's expectation for children. I mean, if you're brought up in an, in an environment where, you know, 
if if your child is not expected to go to Stanford and be a nuclear physicist, then you know, yeah, they're fine. But if that's if that's the goal, uh, you know, sometimes like they can't reach that. The, the other thing I want to touch on was what the typical uh, testing is and, and medical surveillance during pregnancy. There's a certain battery of tests that you get on a person when they find out they're pregnant. Sure. And what, what is included in that? Um, usually what we do is, and it's fairly standard, we usually do a, a blood count, a CBC, especially uh, we want to know what the hemoglobin is at the start and also the platelets. So this is make sure they're not anemic or having right. a, a risk of bleeding. Right, correct. And then we do a hepatitis uh, a profile. We do uh, an HIV um, we do what's called a, a type and RH because we want to know the blood type, uh, make sure if they're RH negative, that, that can have some uh, ramifications for the pregnancy. Specifically, if there's a mismatch between the mother's RH and the father's, the mother's blood can make antibodies against the baby's blood? Correct. If, if the mother would be RH negative and the baby's RH positive, if, there, if there's any mixture of that blood, which we know happens almost all the time during pregnancy, but usually it's at, at non-detectable levels then there can be sensitization. So it usually doesn't affect that pregnancy, but, but subsequent pregnancies. And then uh, sexually transmitted disease testing. Right. We screen for uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia, and then HIV, is, as I said. And um, frequent, rubella. Frequent, what? Rubella. Rubella. frequent urine tests uh, at each visit because they're more vulnerable to uh, urinary tract infection. Right. And we're also looking for uh, protein and glucose. Protein... Um, because some women will develop what's called preeclampsia or toxemia during pregnancy. And uh, along the same lines, uh, blood pressure checks. Right. Because there can be problems that result in elevated blood pressure during pregnancy. Right, exactly. That can turn into other things. Right. And, and you'll see the blood pressure change during pregnancy. Well, it sounds to me like women in this community are basically in good hands. Okay. You know, for, for all the things that are being tested for and, and um, considered... I say babies are being born and they're healthy. Yes, for the most it's, part. It's not as treacherous a road as, you know, we might be making it sound here by, by talking about these things, but they, they've, these things have to be considered and covered. But for the all, most part. All, all of us went through it. We all went through it, yes. <laughs> Your kid's going to be all right. The kids are all right. Any, any final message that you have for uh, our audience? Uh, have your babies in Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And with that, we wrap up uh, another show of Medically Speaking Radio with our, our guest, Dr. Philip Kittner. Dr. Kittner, we, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We, we're glad to have you again, and we hope to have you again in the future. It's a pleasure being here. Again, this is Dr. Mark Vaughn, Larry Finney, and this time our guest is Dr. Philip Kittner telling all of our listeners to stay in good health.